one who loves and trusts you so much and so well. And we trust again that you are going to speak through him. And in all these things, Father, so we love and we trust you. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name, the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, guys, one more time in the book of Mark. We've spent a whole year in the gospel of Mark. And from the beginning, what I've been trying to unfold for us is that Mark is telling not just a collection of random little bits and pieces of stories. Uh, that tend to be tends to be how the gospels get treated. It's just a fun, bunch of fun facts about Jesus and then good little moral lessons um, that you should take and go do likewise. Um, in actuality, what the gospels are, they're, they're cohesive, coherent, engaging stories, each one of them, and they're all focused on Jesus in a particular way from a particular vantage point. Mark's story has been about the joyful proclamation that God has not abandoned his creation, but he is moving in to rescue and renew it. And he's doing that through Jesus, the King, the Son of God. Guys, the whole Bible is about the fact that God didn't just turn away whenever humans rebelled against him. He didn't just look down in wrath and destroy a creation that was covered over by violence and corruption and evil. He initiated in love towards it. And throughout history, he's been unfolding this plan to rescue and renew it. And that plan comes to its culmination, its apex in King Jesus. And so last week, we got to talk about how the crucifixion of Jesus was his defeat of sin, evil, and death. It was there that the kingdom of God, God's reign coming to earth to renew it, that's where the ultimate victory was won on the cross. But last week we saw it was a dark, difficult picture as Jesus was nailed to the cross with the accusation, king of the Jews, rebel revolutionary over his head. And so this week we get to talk about the ultimate clear vindication. Jesus was not defeated when he was crucified. He not only conquered, but he raised again. Guys, this is good news because it gives you and me hope and purpose on a daily basis. The fact that Jesus raised from the dead is not some religious fact from the past. It's not just some intellectual tenet for you to adhere to so you can call yourself a Christian. This gives you hope and this gives you purpose on a daily basis. And I speak about this in a humble place. Because I need that reminder now. And as I shared with you, this has just been a difficult year. It's been a difficult year for a lot of different reasons. Um, and here's what I know about myself. I am made to hope for something. I'm going to look forward to something. And I'm going to put expectation in that. And I'm going to try to be diligent and press on because I'm looking forward to that thing. But here's my problem. My hopes are often way too low. Right? They're, they're so often limited to just the daily in and out of human life. And in an instant, my hopes can be crushed. Right? So as I've gone through this year, I've looked forward to something as small as a weekend. Just to stop, to rest, to unplug. Before I hit the grind again. Right? I've looked for a time with 
friends or family as if it's going to refill me and refuel me in the way that I need in an ultimate sense. I've looked to a lot of different things for hope. I've looked for circumstances to change. I've looked for relationships to be not only reunited, but then to be made more. And some of these things have happened and some of these things have not happened. And in the midst of this season, God has reminded me, hey, there's a higher hope for you. Lift your eyes up. There's a more steady, there's a more satisfying, there's a more fulfilling hope for you that you can endure in the midst of every day if you just lift your eyes and look. I need that reminder. You need that reminder. Many of you are walking through a difficult part of the semester right now, burdened, weighted down, discouraged, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're looking forward to that evening, next week, whenever you're done, right? And you've been fantasizing about it in your mind. You're going to get done. You're going to turn in that paper. You're going to swing in that scantron, and then you're going to do whatever you've been looking forward to, right? Because you're going to go outside and absorb the sun. You're going to have a great meal that you've been looking forward to, Canes or something like that, right? Because you're all college students. You're going to have a good time just hanging out with friends. You're going to be done, right? You've been looking forward to that. And then others of you are looking at graduation, and you're looking forward, and you're thinking, if I can just get this job situation worked out, if I can just get my living situation all just finely tuned, if I know who I'm going to be doing life with, then things will be okay. And your heart has been attached to these hopes. Why? Because you're made to hope. But I want to remind you, there's a higher hope in the midst of everything you go through. And it's enough to actually sustain you, and it will be steadfast. Unlike these other things that shift and change. As you are winding down to the end of the semester, as you're looking forward at, for some of you, a new stage of life, you just need to be reminded of the purpose of your life. Yes, you're here to do school. Yes, you're here to grow and to learn and to mature and then to step into the next stage and then go get a job and support yourself and make an impact in society. But guys, so much of that is going to mold and shift and change with life. Things are going to be different. Things are not going to pan out exactly in the way that you want them to. And if you haven't realized that yet, you will soon. That's not a threat. It's just reality. Just reality. There is a purpose that God has given you. If you call yourself a Christian, there is a purpose that God has given to you that always remains, no matter where you are or what you do. You always have a purpose. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, we have hope and we have purpose. We're going to see that in the passage tonight. So I want you guys to go ahead and open up to Mark 15. And we're going to go um, 40 through the end. We're going to break it into two chunks. First chunk, we're going to see the main point. It might be kind of weird, but the simple fact is this. Jesus fully experienced human death and burial. There was no illusion about that. There was no halfway about that. He fully experienced human death and burial. I'll explain the significance of that here in a little bit. Go ahead and open up to Mark 15, verse 40. Remember, Jesus was just on the cross. He just breathed his last. The centurion looked at him and said, truly, this man was the son of God. And this is where we pick it up, verse 40. There were also women looking on from a distance. 
among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee up in the north, they followed him and they ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. I just want to point out a couple significant things here. Remember, as Mark has told us, there are no male disciples out of the 12 that have been with Jesus who have done life with him every day, who have heard him teach, who have walked alongside him, who have been expecting that he's going to bring in God's kingdom. They're gone. They are nowhere to be seen in this scene. As the king of glory is on the cross, as darkness covers the land, as nails have been driven through his hands and he cries out in agony, naked. There is none of his male disciples there with him. But he's not completely alone. There's some women. And what's really significant about it is that they are described as disciples. That sounds normal to us because we're sitting in a church where, frankly, there's more women than there are men. And so that feels pretty normal. But back in the ancient world, it is socially scandalous for a man to have female disciples. The proper place for women is to be in the home, taking care of home things. They don't need to go out and learn things from a man. They don't need to go out and do things from a man they're not married to. And so this is completely contrary to social expectations. And here are these women standing quietly, yes, from a distance, but still, in the king's darkest moment, they are there. And they witness his death. But they also witness his burial. So let's pick it back up in 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day when the Jews get ready for the Sabbath, they get all their work done, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the religious council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, he took courage and he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. It does take courage for Joseph to do this. He is a high-standing man, probably wealthy. He's well-known among the religious leaders who accuse Jesus of being a revolutionary. And then he's going to go to the very man who condemned him to crucifixion because he was a threat to the Roman Empire, he thought, and say, hey, can I take this man's body and bury him? That's risky for Joseph. He's risking his social standing. He's risking his own safety by associating himself with this crucified, perceived criminal. 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus should have already died. Typically, it takes a couple days for somebody to die as they hang in agony on the cross. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when Pilate learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, he wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So here we are. The king has truly died. And I want you to look at verses 44 to 46. How many times it's emphasized that Jesus really did die. So Joseph comes to Pilate. He asks for the body, the dead body of Jesus. And then Pilate is surprised. Typically, people don't die by crucifixion that quickly. And so he calls the centurion who oversaw Jesus' crucifixion and says, hey, is this guy really dead? We want to be sure. And then the centurion says, yes, he died. 
And if anybody knows what a dead body looks like, it's a Roman soldier. Okay? Their expertise is killing and making sure their enemies are done. So he confirms it. And then Joseph takes the limp body of Jesus off the cross, wraps him in a shroud, and the women see him buried. Jesus fully experienced human death and burial. Why is that significant? Right around the time that Christians are proclaiming that Jesus not only was crucified for our sins to save us, but that he was raised from the dead, a lot of people say, that is freaking ridiculous. As a lot of people do today, right? That's crazy. And so they come up with explanations about what must have happened instead of the craziness of Jesus raising from the dead. And one common explanation that they come up with is, this guy didn't really die. You see, there were stories that circulated around at this point that victims of crucifixion could be pulled down from the cross before they died, and they could be hurried away where they could revive, and they could actually have a little bit of life after that. And so this is a common explanation against Christians. Your king didn't die and then raise again. No, he's just a common criminal. He was pulled down from the cross before he actually died. It just looked like he did. And then he came back proclaiming, I raised from the dead. Mark leaves no room for that kind of answer. Joseph knows that he's died. Pilate confirms that he's died from the centurion who oversaw it. And the women disciples who were with him watching the crucifixion see not only his death, but then his burial. Jesus fully experienced human death and burial. This is not some faux resurrection show. This is Jesus raising from the dead. And we're going to go into this next section. And here the point is this. God's work of renewing all things. His work of restoring and rescuing this broken world begins in the resurrected Jesus. God renewing this world begins when Jesus raises from the dead. Let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 8 in chapter 16. Now a couple days later when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' dead body. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Oh, I forgot about that detail. How are we going to get in there? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. And it was incredibly huge. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were overwhelmed. They were shocked. And this young man said to them, do not be overwhelmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And these women went out from the tomb and fled. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. That's the end of the book. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a second, kind of explain that. Uh, but first I want to just walk us through this idea of renewal. Okay, um, Look at verse 2. There's going to be numerous ways in these short verses 
that we have newness repeated over and over and over. Verse 2, it's very early on a new day. So it's morning, uh, a new day is dawning. It's morning on the first day of the week. So a new week is unfolding. And then Jesus, who was dead in verse 6, the angel, this is the young man who was in the tomb dressed in white, shocking appearance, totally freaked out those women. That's typically what angels do in the Bible. Um, that's how we know he's an angel. He tells them Jesus is not dead. He is risen to new life. That's a new dawn of a new day. This is a new day and a new week. Jesus is risen to new life. And then look at the message that the angel tells the women to share with the disciples. Verse 7. Go tell his disciples, Jesus' disciples, and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So the women are supposed to go and share with the followers of Jesus, hey, he's going ahead of you, he's been raised from the dead, he's going ahead of you, and where's he going to meet them? Back in Galilee. Back where this whole story began. Where Jesus began to walk around and proclaim, God's reign is at hand, repent and receive the good things that he's going to be doing. Back in Galilee where Jesus was casting out demons and healing sick bodies and forgiving sinners. Back where the kingdom of God was beginning to come in power. This is the new beginning that Jesus is calling his disciples to. And that's significant for them. Because they have all abandoned him. None of them were with him as he was crucified. None of them were there with him as he died. And so if they were even to hear, hey, he's been raised, they have no reason to hope that they're still good with him. But he lets them know that there's a new start for them. And then he takes the next step and actually says, tell the disciples and Peter. Peter who rejected me three times. Peter who basically cursed me three times. Tell him there's a new start for him. There's the beginning of a new day. And this new day is the beginning of a new week. Jesus has been raised to new life, and his disciples are called to a new work that he's going to be doing back at the beginning in Galilee. Why all this emphasis on newness? It's because the resurrection has just occurred. And to, to kind of get the idea here, we have to kind of step back into Jewish thought just for a brief second. So if you were a Jew back in the first century, and you heard the word resurrection, what would have come to mind is this idea, this host of ideas. On the one hand, God was going to raise the wicked. He's going to raise all people, but specifically he's going to raise the wicked, and he would raise the righteous, and all people would stand before him physically resurrected. And those who did not trust God, those who did not receive his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, who rejected him, they would be cast away into punishment and separation. But those who received his grace and walked with him in faith and trusted him, they would be involved in the renewal of creation. God himself would come to dwell with them face to face. He would wipe tears away from their eyes. There would be no more death. There would be no more sorrow. There would be more, no more suffering, oppression, injustice, evil. It would all be done away with. Resurrection is this idea of the renewal of all things. God coming back to earth and restoring it. And living with his people face to face. So here's the idea. We're here in history. We still got a lot of junk going on. But at the end of human history as we know it. There's coming a day. 
when God will destroy everything evil, wicked, hurtful, and difficult. And he will renew all things. And we will live with him as embodied human beings. Not prone to sickness, not prone to suffering, not prone to, to dying at all anymore. Jesus is unique though. So there's that view of the end of history, resurrection, you think the end of history. Jesus brings that end of history and he pops it right in the middle of the timeline. He is the first fruits of what is fully to come at the end. He is the first example of what God is going to do for all who trust him. The fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead, his body's no more prone to anger, sickness, death, anything. That is the example of what we look forward to. God is beginning his work of renewing all things, and it happens in the resurrection of Jesus. It's the beginning of a new day. It's the beginning of a new week. Jesus is raised to new life. His disciples are invited into something new. God has begun the renewal of all things, and it's happening because Jesus has been raised from the dead. This is what we look forward to. This is the hope of the gospel. Jesus is the pioneer. He has cut the path for us, and we follow him. God has not called us to a disembodied existence in heaven with him. He has not called us to just reach out and get a get-out-of-jail-free card. He has not called us to just go into heaven and play harps for the rest of eternity, singing lame songs. He has rescued the thing that he made, the physical creation that he made, and he's going to renew it and dwell with his people in joy and fullness and newness. I want to uh, just read this passage uh, from an ancient pastor named Melito. Uh, this, is, this is Melito talking about the victorious Jesus. We talked last week about how Jesus conquered evil, sin, and death in his death. That he let the weight of evil fall upon himself. He let God's wrath for our sin be exhausted on himself. But in the resurrection, we see clearly that he is the conquering king. So let me go ahead and read this. This is Melito speaking as if he's Jesus. Who takes issue with me? Let him stand before me. I set free the condemned. I gave life to the dead. I raised up the entombed. Who will contradict me? It is I, says the Christ. I am he who destroys death and triumphs over the enemy and crushes Hades and binds Satan and bears humanity off to the heavenly heights. It is I, says the Christ. So come all families of people perverted with sin and receive forgiveness of sins. For I am your freedom. I am the Passover of salvation. I am the lamb slaughtered for you. I am your ransom. I am your life. I am your light. I am your salvation. I am your resurrection. I am your king. I shall raise you up by my right hand and I will lead you to the heights of heaven. And there I will show you the everlasting father. This is Melito's way of pointing to the king who's conquered. In his death, he defeated evil, sin, and death with finality. And in his resurrection, he's shown to be the victorious conqueror. He has cut the path for us to walk in 
And there is coming a day whenever he comes back to renew all things that we will participate in that. Our hope is rooted in the resurrected king. Our purpose is rooted in the resurrected king. So I want to talk about what this means for our life. The, the resurrection of Jesus is not just a past historical reality. It's not some dry theological belief that's disconnected from life. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you are called to hope in and proclaim the resurrected Jesus. Jesus' resurrection gives you a higher hope to look forward to. Like I was saying, all of us are wired to hope. We are beings that need hope as a fuel. And so I just want to see like, how many of you have in the past couple of weeks, in the past month, thought, if I can only make a few finals, everything's going to be okay. Yeah, pretty much everybody. Uh, if, you, if you this final season hasn't been that stressful for you, I can guarantee you there's been a time in life where you have looked forward to a weekend, to a vacation, to a meal, to some reward at the end of a challenge as a way of saying, if I can just get there, I can push through, I can endure, and it'll be okay. There's been some way that you've done that, and there's a reason for that, because all humans do it, we are wired to hope. But guys, the hopes that we tend to attach ourselves to are fleeting. And if that's the only hope that we have, we will be disappointed. We will find that they fall short. And there will be a time in life where you'll think, is this really all there is? In Jesus' resurrection, we have been given a higher hope to look past. Yes, continue to enjoy weekends. Yes, look forward to being done with finals. Yes, enjoy good meals. All those things, look forward to them. But what we have been given to push through in this life, to live faithfully to God, to make it through all the mess, all the suffering, all the difficulty, all the death, all the depression, what we've been given to make it through all that is to fix our eyes on the king who has bore all evil, sin, and death on his shoulders and defeated it. And he is raised in glory, and he beckons us and says, hey, come on, I got a seat for you at the table. That's the hope that we have been given. That is the hope that endures, regardless of if you're abandoned by your friends, regardless of if you lose a family member, regardless of if your life blows up, and you don't know what the heck to do. This is the hope that endures. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, steady, unchanging. And he is the example of everything that God is going to do for you and for me if we trust him. And so there might be some of you here tonight who haven't really fully received that. You might have viewed Christianity as just this, man, I just need to avoid the flames. You know, or I call myself a Christian because I've grown up in a Christian home. Guys, there is depth, beauty, and richness to the Christian faith because God not only affirms what he's made, but he has rescued it. And he's going to make all things new and you will get to be with him face to face. And if that doesn't sound good to you, I understand that. But he is the ultimate of all pleasures, as the Bible says. He is the ultimate of what is beautiful and true, what gives us life. And to be in his presence is what our hearts long for ultimately. Set your eyes on that. Others of you are Christians. And I just want to remind you, 
Yes, you have these, these fleeting hopes that are good encouragements as you go along the way, but let your eyes be lifted and fixed on Jesus ultimately. So for some of you, as you go into summer, you're looking at, man, frankly, for some of you, you're walking back into a difficult situation. You're going back to a home that is just not joyful. It's not refreshing or encouraging. There's a lot of bad memories there. You feel burdened. And you're thinking, you know, I'm going to finish finals and I'll be relieved, but then I'll be there. For others of you, you're looking at the summer and you're thinking of all the community that you're going to miss. You're worried about being separated from actually pursuing the Lord. You know that whenever you get back home, you are prone to just let the scriptures go and drift and you drift to a dark place. You give in to sins that used to just rule over you and you get frustrated and you come back and you feel like, why has nothing changed? Guys, as you walk into the summer, fix your eyes on Jesus, the hope that you have in him and press on wherever you are. Because that doesn't change the hope that you've been given. The end goal that you're called to doesn't change depending on where you live and what that looks like. It is in the midst of difficulty, it is in the midst of temptation that we especially need to lift our eyes and say, this is where I'm headed. And in the midst of all this, this is why I'm going to press on and endure faithfully. This is why I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to choose to rejoice in the midst of this difficulty or darkness or temptation. For others of you, you're looking at the next stage and student life is about to be done. How many of you use that just a really weird thought? You've been a student your whole life and that's about to go away. Right. That's a weird transition to make. And it can be easy to attach your hopes to, if I can just get this job worked out, if I can just get this living situation all smoothed out, if I can establish this new community of friends, then everything's going to be okay. And I would encourage you, yeah, like pray for those things to work out well, but know that that's not the ultimate end, be all of your life. In every season, the ultimate hope that we have is the king who's been raised from the dead, victorious over sin, evil, and death. Hope in him. Know that regardless of where you go and what you do, that remains steady, that remains steadfast, that gives you life. But the resurrected Jesus doesn't just give us hope, he also gives us purpose. And I want you to look at Mark 16, 8 just one more time. And just think, what a weird way it is for the book to end that way. So this angelic messenger comes up and says, hey, this Jesus that you're looking for, the one who was crucified, he's risen. He's not here. So you need to go and carry this message to his disciples. And what is the response of these women? They went out, they fled from the tomb, trembling and astonishment seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. It's a really weird ending, huh? Some of you might be like kind of looking at me weird because in your Bible you still have verses like 9 through 20. What's going on there, huh? Um, not all Bibles say this, but your Bible might say something like some of the earliest manuscripts do not include verses 9 through 20. That's true. Uh, Mark ended his book at a cliffhanger, a really weird cliffhanger. And so early Christians thought, this feels really weird, this feels really awkward, this feels really anticlimactic. 
It ends with fear and silence. Nobody proclaims the gospel about Jesus. There's a reason for that. It's supposed to make you feel weird. It's supposed to make you think because it loops you into the story and it says, what are you going to do? This is not just about characters in a story from an ancient time. This is about what you are going to do in light of what you've heard about Jesus. And so we have a number of different endings that have been added to the book of Mark throughout history. They've been included in our Bibles because they've been there for a long time and people respect them. Um, Just a warning, if you've ever thought that Christians should handle snakes and they are immune to poison because of these verses, I would just warn you against that. These verses aren't original, okay, so we don't have those promises. God is mighty and powerful and he can do crazy things, but that's just not a promise we've been given, okay? Um, The book ends abruptly for a reason. And it's to say, what will you do now with this? Jesus is the crucified and resurrected king. God has begun the work of renewing all things in his resurrection. What are you going to do now? Are you going to be silent? Are you going to be fearful? Or are you going to recognize your purpose as a Christian to proclaim the resurrected Jesus? And so I I just want to call you guys to remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever job you work, whether you're a student or a businessman or woman or an artist or a teacher, our basic purpose as followers of Jesus remains the same. In the midst of a dark place, proclaim the light. In the midst of brokenness, hurt, depression, death, remind people, God not only cares about this, he's done something to defeat it. And there is rescue available to you. Wherever you go, whatever you do, your purpose, if you're a Christian, is to proclaim this, to share this, to spread this. Not because you want to make people like you. Not because you want people to think just like you do, dress like you do, hang out with the same crowd of friends that you do. But if you have found life in Jesus, why would you withhold that from others who are dying? If you have found life in Jesus, why would you withhold that from others around you walking in darkness, bearing their own sins, separated from the love of God that grants life and peace and joy? And so if you're heading into the summer, and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, there has to be at least one person in your family, in your friend group, somebody that you'll be working alongside who doesn't trust Christ. There has to be somebody who is walking in darkness, who's weighed down, that you can come alongside and in love and in kindness and in gentleness say, God loves me deeply. And he's shown it in Jesus. Can I share that with you? Don't let this summer be a time where you just fall back into old sins, fall back into spiritual apathy, revert spiritually. Be active in praying for the people around you who need to hear about the king who's been raised, who's defeated evil, sin, and death, that we might be rescued. And as you're looking forward, those of you who are graduating, you're thinking about this next stage, the job that you're going to be working, the place that you'll be living, the community that you're going to try to establish and build out. Don't lose sight of the fact that this is your purpose. Yes, be faithful and diligent in the work that you've given to do. But all that we do is a means for spreading the light in the midst of a dark world. So do excellent at business. 
Make beautiful art. Be a phenomenal teacher. Go and get an awesome master's degree. Do all of those things. But as you go, recognize that this is not the end all be all of your life. Don't get your eyes just focused on the small details of your life here and now that will end probably at age 85. Focus your life on something eternal in the midst of what you do, proclaiming that God rescues his broken creation, and he has done it in Jesus. So in light of that, what I'd like to do with the rest of our time tonight is actually pray over different groups of people. Um, Instead of just challenging you guys with those things, I'd like to actually pray specifically for different people headed in different directions. And so before we kind of get to that, uh, I want to explain something real quick. Um, I'm going to pray briefly to kind of open up this time. And then here's what I know. I know that there are some of you here tonight who um, maybe church is a new thing. Or maybe, frankly, you're just still trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing. You don't really know what you think. Um, And praying just kind of weirds you out. I get that. I was there. I was sitting in this church as a college student at SFA, and I felt that. So if that's you, that's fine. Don't feel any pressure to have to come up and pretend like you're praying or anything like that. If you want to stick around, you're more than welcome. If you'd rather just go, that's totally fine too, okay? But I'm going to open this time in prayer, and then what we're going to do is we're going to have different groups of people come up, and we're going to gather around and pray for them, okay? Let me go ahead and open this up. Father in heaven, thank you that you care about your creatures. Thank you that you're not distant and removed and just harsh as you look down at a world that has been broken and marred by rebellion and evil and suffering. Thank you, Jesus, that you have conquered those things for us and that in you we have life. In you we have hope. In you we have purpose. Lord, I pray that that would sink in more for all of us. I pray that that would flow out of us wherever we are, whatever we do, that we would have our eyes fixed on you and that our mouths would proclaim what you have done for us. Thank you for these students. Thank you for the plans that you have for them. Thank you for the way that you love them. And as we gather together, I pray that hearts that are tender, that are uh, just tired, that are frustrated, that are confused, I pray that you provide comfort. Pray that you provide direction. Pray where there's a need of finances to come in that you would answer that. All these things, Lord, as we pray over our brothers and sisters, encourage them and refresh them. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so this is going to be the time where we where we kind of gather together and pray. Um, the first group that I'm going to ask to come up is this group. If you are stepping into a new role at Grace in some form or fashion, uh, would you come up and just kind of huddle up right here? So stepping into an internship or a new job role or anything like that, come on up, kind of huddle up. And what I want to do is just have these people introduce themselves to you so you know who they are. And then I'm going to ask you guys to come up and just kind of gather around them and pray for them. So guys, I just want you to say your name and what ministry you're interning with, okay? Uh, I'm Jared, and I'm going to be the refuge intern. My name is Roberto. I'll be interning for facilities slash sounds. My name is Colton. I will be the Crosspoint intern. I'm Susanna. I'm, I am also a Crosspoint intern. I'm Lauren, and I'm also a refuge intern. 
I'm Hannah, and I'll be a kids' ministry intern. Hey, I'm Jesse. I'm going to be the interim worship leader. I'm Ben. I'll be a kids' ministry intern. I'm Candace. I will not be an intern, but I'll be a community group leader. So, yes. All right. Great. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead and clap for him. Um, can I have you guys scooch in? Go ahead and scooch in, guys. No, 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 I want you to kind of huddle up in a circle, and then the rest of us, uh, let's go ahead and gather around and just lay hands on them. And here's how this is going to work. I want, uh, I want all of you guys just to take a few minutes and just pray over them. And I, here's the things that I want you to think about. I want you to think about uh, just, obviously, we're in a new stage of grace, and there's a lot of questions, and there's a lot of potential for challenges. And so pray for encouragement. Pray for peace, refreshment. Pray that God would show these interns and leaders in different forms or fashions that he has good things for them to do, okay? And at the end of all that, I'll pray to close this out, this section. Go ahead and start praying. <laughs> 